So we have been in a series, and this series um, is Thinking Biblically in a Culturally Divided World. And uh, it's election week. What do you think? Where, I, I saw, where's Lori there? there? Stand up, Lori. There we go. There's, all right, that's our true patriot person there. Lori's dressed in a flag. It's almost like a flag there, whatever. So uh, we are uh, moving through a very unique week for us as a nation. And part of what brought this series on, Thinking Biblically in a Culturally Divided World, is because it's been a very contentious time in our nation for the last uh, few years, uh, probably going back much further than then, if we were to be honest. And we are finding ourselves being pitted into different kinds of pockets of people and groups of people. And I pray that you would pray this week that God would work and orchestrate His will in all things, foremostly that we would be a God-honoring people and that there would be a spirit of unity. Um, we uh, have been told different things like, you know, what's this week going to hold and the aftermath and all those things. I don't really worry about that. God's in control. We're going to be talking about His sovereignty here. But this is election week. And so as we've gone through the past few weeks in this series, uh, our titles, which have also been our exhortations, uh, have been these. The first week was your worldview makes a world of difference. How you view the world is going to make a world of difference. So if you view that there's a God, then that's going to make a big difference. If you view there is no God, uh, that's going to make a huge difference. And the second week, we looked at your trust in authoritative truth as historical. Why should we even think biblically? Here's a Bible so big, big whoop. You know, it's uh, some pages between some leather bound covers. Does this really matter? It does matter, not because your mother or your father told you the Bible matters, but because the events in here, in particular, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his coming again, they're historical. And so our trust and authoritative truth is not because so-and-so said so, but because the events are historical and they actually happen. And so Jesus backed up his words with his resurrection. And then... We looked at the culture as entrapped in a secular age, and we just started to tiptoe a little bit into that. And I'm very mindful that we could get into a lot of issues that we're divided on. And maybe you thought this series was going to run after that direction, and I thought maybe I'd wade into a few of those too, where uh, we're in a very uh, divided cultural age. But uh, maybe that's for another time. But I felt as we move through this series, we need to step back and see big picture. And in that particular week, we talked about the big picture of exactly how is our culture shifting and moving and why is that and how are we caught up in it? And then last week, which I was really pleased that there was a, a lot of affirmation to last week, we um, went and we looked at a verse in Philippians 3.20 which is entitled, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we address the, the division, if you will, in our world, according to some political parties that uh, have been bestowed upon us just because we're born and uh, we're alive in the election of 2020. And it's not the Republican Party, it's not the Democrat Party, it's the Kingdom Party that we are a part of if we are believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And so we need to rise above some of the uh, partisanship and we need to make sure our lives and our hearts are anchored in the kingdom. And that's why we entitled it last week, Your Identity Stands with the Kingdom Party. 
And your identity stands with the kingdom party because if you are a follower of Christ today, you are a citizen of heaven. And that citizen of heaven is just not, oh, way in the future, when I die, I get to go to heaven. No, heaven talks about the spiritual realm in which we are part of here and today. And so you, if you're a Christ follower today, if you're not a Christ follower and checking God out, that's cool. God would say, come and be a part of my kingdom party. And the kingdom party truly is a party. And one day it will be seen that way physically here with the new heaven and a new earth into eternity. And that is our foremost identity in which we stand. This is how I've phrased today. Your election awaits an acceptance decision. Your election awaits an acceptance decision. Now that can go a couple different ways, can it? The election, the national election is Tuesday. We will vote not only on a president for the next four years, we will vote on senators, we will vote on congressmen, we will vote at a state level for representation, even a local county level. There is an election. Your election is coming up on Tuesday. But it's going to await an acceptance decision. And that's where some of the rub and some of the turmoil has sort of been projected on those. Like, oh, are people, whatever side they're on or their beliefs, are they going to accept the results of an election? Well, I don't, I don't know. I've been, a while. I've been alive for a few elections. And people usually end up accepting the election. All right? Maybe begrudgingly. Maybe you'll have to accept it begrudgingly. But there will be an acceptance decision that comes for you this week concerning all elected offices. Now, here's the reality. Somebody could get elected and then choose not to give their big acceptance speech. Wouldn't that be weird? What if like the... Uh, President election went through and uh, whether it's a Trump or a Biden win, uh, they stood up afterwards and they said, thank you. I'm glad that I won the election, but I am now going to turn it down and I'm not going to choose to serve. I was like, what? We'd like be baffled on something like that. But just because you win an election doesn't mean you serve in the office. You have to accept that election and then you serve from that position moving forward. And it's like, oh, is it the other party? Whoever doesn't win, are they going to accept the results of the election? Well, you can take the terminology that direction today. Your election awaits an acceptance decision. However, I want us to look at a whole different kind of election. And this election is far more important than what happens Tuesday. It really is. And this election is something that will be a part of your life, not only now, but into eternity. You see, you sort of forget some of the election results from a few years ago. If you've been around a while, a few decades ago, oh yeah, I remember that presidential election. That was a little contentious. That was sort of intriguing too, whatever. Well, elections come and go. But this election will be forever. And this election has to do with what God's doing for you and in your life. Your election awaits acceptance decision. Let me define the word election as it's referenced in Scripture. Scripture uses the word election. It uses the word elect. It says to choose something for oneself. 
There's other words that are used in Scripture concerning election, elect, words like choose, predestined, foreordained, call. And some of you right now are going, where is the pastor going today? And is he really going to get into that hotly debated theological conversation that has existed for years upon end? And I'm going to say, yes, a little bit. How many of you are familiar with the theological subject of divine election? There's a few of you. How about the word predestination? All right. How many of you have been caught up in uh, theological hair splitting, THS, over the election, divine election and predestination? Because this has been debated for years on end. And what is the debate over concerning divine election? Divine election historically has been on the controversy of does God elect a certain group of people or individuals who will end up being saved and living with Him for eternity and not select other people? Do we have a choice? God's divine election. And the theological camps a number of years ago played their way out according to some different kinds of leaders. I won't get too deep in all that because that, you didn't come for a, a seminary class today. But Calvinism, Arminianism, those familiar terms with some of you. Some of you come out of some different camps and now you're going like, where's the pastor going? What camp's he in? I'm not doing theological hair splitting today, man. I am calling us, though, to a higher understanding of what it means for you to take your stand in the kingdom party and understand the election that's a part of your life that's going to bring you hope and confidence in this hour. And if you don't understand election and how that can bring you hope and confidence in this hour, then I pray you're going to slip out of here in a little bit and go, oh, I have been a part of an election, and I have been one who has been chosen, chosen by God Himself. I um, had a second cousin pass away uh, this last week, a week ago. Now, normally you wouldn't think second cousin is so big deal, but uh, being from the Midwest, we used to have a lot of big family reunions and. In our family, we had the Grossman side of the reunion. There'd be 100, 120 people gather, usually at Thanksgiving. Then we moved it to Labor Day. But as we moved it, we started to realize that, uh, you know, that generations were changing. And there was the top generation with my grandparents, and they sort of started to die off. And then my parents, that generation, started to die off. Well, something happened this week, and what happened this week was somebody died in one sense of natural death that was in my generation, only just a few years older uh, than me. And you go, oh my goodness, we're sort of moving up the food chain in a not so good way in that regards and going, it's now our generation. I can't believe they passed away. And, and the person who passed away, uh, he was a part of a large family whose kids sort of aligned with the kids in the Bowman family. And uh, so we tracked each other, built some friendships here or there, watched each other journey through life. And uh, we used to have these big football games after the uh, food was eaten at the reunion. 
And the football games were in a backfield that was behind some of the uh, uh, tombstones in a cemetery. And we would divide and pick up sides. And because I was one of the younger people, I was usually picked, what do you guess? Last. Actually, it came down to me and two other guys that were sort of my age, and all the big studs, they got picked, right, to be a part of a team. And then we're sitting around going, who wants to pick me? It's like, and then they go, all right, we'll do carry over here. And you go, okay, I get to be on this team, right? I never got picked first in those football games. I never got picked uh, to make a difference necessarily. I got picked because they were just trying to, you know, care and love on me a little bit. Now, you can all probably depict a time where you didn't get picked. Maybe it was for a position in a play. Maybe it was for a role on a team. Maybe it was a relationship with a guy or a girl and they decided to move on to somebody else. When you don't get picked, what happens to you? Oh, man, your heart just sinks. You're discouraged. You're frustrated, right? Well, when it comes to the divine election, I want you to know today that God does not overlook anyone. And this is a part of the controversy sometimes. God picks some, He doesn't pick other, that kind of thing. I do not find that in Scripture. But I do find in Scripture that God does pick and elect people and chooses people. In fact, you can walk your way back through some several kinds of Scriptures. In Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, you find that God picked the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. He could have picked other nations at that time, but He chose to pick the Jewish people. And why was that? It says this in chapter 7, verse 7. The Lord did not set His heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations. For you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. Why does God pick you? Why does God choose you? I don't know. If I was God, knowing all that I do, and He knows everything more even, I don't know that I'd pick me. I'd let Him you know, go through all the studs and then maybe the runts. I don't know if they get on the team or not. But you need to know this. I don't know what disposition, what heart you have, what kind of spiritual background you have or not. Maybe you're just new today. You showed up. I don't know. Maybe you came truck or treat. That's great. We're glad to have you. I want you to know that God chooses you because you're a great person. No. God chooses you because you're a winner. No. God chooses you in spite of you being a sinner. But He chooses you because He loves you. So don't ever find yourself in a place in life where you're trying to grab your way through and go, okay, this spiritual thing, God, and my future, and I feel empty out. How, how do I get a hold of things? I need to measure up. I need to work harder. I need to try harder. Friends, you can't try hard enough to win God's favor. He is perfect. He is ultimate good. But He is the one who has taken the initiative to love you and to choose you, to pick you, to be on His eternal team. And we see this in the nation of Israel. In the nation of Israel, God chose a people 
Not because he didn't want to love on other people, but he chose them to highlight them so that they could be a living witness and example of God's work. And other people would come to God through the nation of Israel. Now that plan didn't always work out very good. But when Jesus Christ came, Jesus Christ embodied the heart of God because He was God Himself. And in John 6, 44, we find these words. No one can come to Me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent Me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. Now, you look at that. Can we read that again? Here we go. John 6, 44. No one can come to Me unless, unless... They do a bunch of good works. They come and sit in a church in a back lot underneath a hot sun on a Saturday when they could be doing other things. No. No one comes to me, Jesus says, unless the Father, God Himself, who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. Whose initiative is it for you to even come to God, come to salvation through Jesus Christ? Whose initiative? Whose? The Father's. It's God's initiative that calls you. I think one of the biggest errors, and this is the reason divine election is pretty important for us to talk about, is to think that you actually did something to save yourself. It was God Himself who created you in your mother's womb, and He wooed and called you. Jesus Christ did the work of a perfect life, dying, being raised from the grave. What Jesus did for you came from the heart of God because God loves you and you at whatever your age in life, where your little kid's sitting out here in a chair this morning or you're big grown up and you've been around for a lot of, a lot of years, a lot of elections. God is the one who takes the initiative. So we don't have any room to boast, now do we? Jesus also said this in John 15, 16, talking to His disciples. You did not choose Me but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Picture Jesus starting out along uh, the Sea of Galilee and He sees Peter and John and He picks them, right? He chooses them. Matthew and others. He's the one who takes the initiative. Friends, today, wherever you're at spiritually or wherever you've been, you just need to be reminded of something pretty cool. It was Jesus God Himself who took the initiative to call you into relationship. If you've responded to that relationship, then praise the Lord. If you've not and you're wondering, He's asking you to consider because He's pursuing you. He's taking the initiative to elect you, to pick you. Ephesians 1 then, the Apostle Paul. This is probably one of two or three primary texts where the whole big subject of divine election and predestination hangs its hat on. And there's different ways we could dive into this text, but I'm just going to read it. Ephesians 1.4, the Apostle Paul says at the beginning of an incredible letter to a lot of believers, For He chose us in Him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and His will. Do you see the words sort of standing out there? He chose us. He predestined us. 
not only catch this. My mama taught me this growing up. Not only did God come to you last year, two years ago, maybe right now, and whisper in your ear, I'm picking you. I want to choose you. But God did that before you were even born. Before you were even born in the heart of God, He had foreknowledge of knowing you. And God Himself has elected you to be a part of His chosen people. He predestined in His foreknowledge a desire for you to be a sojourner with Him in this life and into eternity. Now we go, I can't comprehend that. You're right. You know why? Because you have an ant-sized brain. I have an ant-sized brain. How can an ant understand anything about technical equipment up here? They don't. We cannot comprehend the infinite, beautiful, incredible God. And so for us to think that we can get our hands around how can God elect or know me before even the beginning of time and want me to be in relationship with Him. I can't. I can't understand that fully. And I I just acknowledge my limitations, especially when it comes to this subject. That's why this statement's been thrown out some. Try to explain election and you may lose your mind. But try to explain it away and you may lose your soul. I'm sorry, I'm not going to answer the historical debate between Calvinism and Arminianism and election. All I know this, that when I read Scripture, God desires that all would be saved. Charles Spurgeon, a man who was a vibrant witness for Jesus, big church in London, had the opportunity a couple years ago to stand in that pulpit of his church from when he was alive. And Charles Spurgeon was pretty strong on election, strong on predestination, but one of the most um, biggest raving evangelists of all time, seeking to persuade people and call them into Jesus. Charles Spurgeon says this, I believe the doctrine of election because I am quite sure that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen Him. And I am sure He chose me before I was born. Or else He would have never chosen me afterwards. And He must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I, have, I never could find any reason in myself why He should have looked upon me with special love. Isn't that a great quote? It's true. I'm glad he picked me because I don't know my waywardness if I would ever picked him. And I'm glad he picked me before I was even born because after I was born, seeing what I turned out to be like, I wouldn't have picked me. But I'm glad that he did. And it's because of that that he said he responded. Because of the special love from God. One of the contentious points that's happening in our nation, I believe, you can disagree, 
I believe, has to do with what's referred to as identity politics. Identity politics started out, in one sense, as a good thing. It was identifying groups that had special needs that needed to be addressed that we should not be overlooking as a nation or even locally. And those pockets of people, it could be uh, uh, different dimensions, a, a race, uh, a race uh, inequality, it could be a gender equality, it could be other kinds of affinity equalities. And so we identify special groups of people that we should be addressing. In fact, this happens in uh, the, the Christian evangelical world. They call them unreached people groups. And so if you're studying missions and how to really spread the gospel in the world, you're going to step back and say, well, what pockets of people, linguistically and otherwise, do not have a viable witness of Jesus Christ in their midst? And so we identify unreached people groups. And unreached people groups identification has been huge in being able to evangelize the world. All right? And so a lot of missionaries, especially because we're part of a missionary denomination called the Christian Missionary Alliance, we really deploy, we not only deploy missionaries, and for the U.S. missionaries, we have about 700 uh, missionaries in 70-some different countries, but we will redeploy missionaries according to unreached people groups. So if there's a viable witness, an established church has started in, in one locality, in one country, with one group of people, they get their church going, they have national workers, then we think, okay, what's another unreached people group that we need to go after? And so then we will redeploy. Uh, I know missionaries, uh, friends of mine, that'll learn a whole new language to go to another part of the country and establish uh, cultural connections. So unreached people groups is sort of how I identify with it. And in politics, they call it uh, identity politics, is, is that you're finding pockets of people. But what's happened is, instead of seeing the big canopy umbrella of everybody's united, whether in Christ with unreached people or united as a nation, we've pitted one group of people after another. So identity politics is like, well, we're going to go after this group, this group, this group. And we don't like this group because that group doesn't necessarily like this group. And so when we elect, we're going to have a leader that uh, applies himself to this group or that group, or they're going to throw arrows or they're going to throw verbiage and say, oh, the other candidate doesn't like this group or that group. And so we're splintering in all kinds of directions with our identity politics. I don't like it. When God elected his people, did he play identity politics? No. He gives no favoritism. However, is there diversity in the kingdom party? Huge diversity. In fact, if you've never been on a short-term mission trip, I encourage you to go. Get outside your own culture. Go to another world or even help in an urban ministry or somewhere. Get outside of yourself. I used to say I have to get out of this country every two years, otherwise I become too myopic. Pastor Zach, being our outreach and connections, and COVID has changed everything. We'd hope to be able to launch some short-term mission trips that we could get connected with as a church and, and be a part of them. But I encourage you to get outside yourself, even your culture, and then you're able to understand your culture more. Not that one's good, one's bad. It's the beauty and diversity of God. And you find this. Guess where you're going to find this at? You're going to find this in the end times when we're all gathered together. Revelation 7, 9 says this concerning heaven. After this, it's a vision that John had. After this, I looked and there before me in the heavens was a great multitude that no one could count. 
from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were doing what before the throne? They were worshiping God. We praise the Lamb who gave His life for us, who was slain so that His blood could purchase our forgiveness, our salvation. So in heaven, our destiny is great diversity. Not only diversity of ethnicity, but diversity of backgrounds, diversity of generations. I'm going to be worshiping beside Moses. Maybe. If I can find him. How about you? People from every language, every tribe, every people, every nation. There is nothing wrong with diversity. I tell you what, the thing, one of the things that blew me away last night at the trunk retreat when we have all these people coming through and you're handing out candy, we were the last car, which is sort of fun, nice, you know. And if you didn't know, if you were here, I was challenged. I was Fred Flintstone. And my wife, Melissa, was Wilma, and Levi was Bam Bam, and uh, we had our car decked down, and we were giving out candy, and uh, I, some of you didn't recognize me because uh, my wife dyed my hair dark. In fact, I was just talking to someone right down here. He's like, where were you last night? I said, I was Fred Flintstone. And, oh, you were that person. I didn't know who Melissa was with. It was me. In fact, my wife looked at me and go, oh, the person I fell in love with. I'm like, hey. Hey now. In fact, I was even challenged to wear the Fred Flintstone thing today by somebody who said, hey, we'll chip in, we'll help with the overcost, that kind of thing. And I was headed that direction, Rob. <laughs> I slept with my dark hair last night. But when I got up, it was all on the pillow, the dark. And then, then I realized I felt too grungy, and I just cleaned up and I said, forget it. But I was going to do it. I was at least going to show up in my Fred Flintstone thing, right? But we had fun last night at the trunk retreat, man. And we're there at the end, and we had the cards passing out because, you know, hey, pastor, pastor's wife, that kind of thing. And we said, thanks for coming. They're so appreciative. Thing. Hey, we'd love to have you come on a Sunday. If, if you're interested, 10 o'clock, we hand them the card. And I tell you, the thing that blew me away, besides the long lines and the passes we win, was the beauty of this valley in the diversity of people. Racial diversity, socioeconomic diversity, different kinds of interests, different kinds of affinities. People walk, hey, would you accept me? Sure, everybody's welcome. And I don't care what background you're from or what kind of identity group that you've played into. God loves every single one of you because He created you in the beauty that you are. May we stay unified in the kingdom party. May we realize that God's divine election is for all people. Even before they were born, He chose that they would be in relationship with Him to live eternally with Him. And let's please... Please, not categorize people. Put them in a box. Distance ourselves and disown them. Even if it's awkward and someone has different beliefs than you may have, have a discussion about them. And, and as sadly, today we can't have discussions of differences. But, you know, when it's all said and done, I remember a guy preaching a great message once. He titled it, It All Goes Back in the Box. Talking about when we're done living, 
and we pass on, just like you put Monopoly back in the game box when it's over, we get put in a box. Our physical body does. It gets buried, but our soul, our spirit will live forever. And it will either live with Christ or we will live absent from Christ because, not of election, but because of whether we accepted the decision that was made on His half before the beginning of time. Did we respond to it or not? It all goes back in the box. So let's rise above it. Let's have a good week. Last night was just fun. You sort of forgot about the whole COVID journey and the election, and you were just yourselves. And I think that's why so many people poured out from the neighborhood for something just simple and fun like that. John 3.16, we know it well, but it highlights this very fact. For God so loved what? The world. People from every language, tribe, and nation, and affinity group. Every political party, you name it. He loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Ah, I know that verse, man. Don't let it fly over your head. Look at it. The world. And He loved the world before the beginning of time. Every language, tribe, and nation. And Jesus Christ came and He gave up His life so that the world could have eternal life. Not only in the future, but a full, abundant life today wherever you're at. John 3.17 though says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. I don't like that group of people over there. I don't like how they look. I don't like how they think. I don't like who their friends are. I don't like what their politics are. No. He did not come to condemn the world. Does that mean He doesn't have right and wrong? Of course He has right and wrong. That's a part of what this series has been about. How to think biblically. To think from truth. But the truth isn't there to condemn someone. The truth is there to enlighten and bring people in to the fullness of life that they can have. And so God so loved the world, He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For He did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. But then the next verse is a little bit harder. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. If you were given the assignment to create a perfect heaven, how would you go about doing it? Well, you would want perfect people, wouldn't you? And perfect people would be people that reflected the heart of God, of Jesus. So if I'm going to have a perfect heaven, I need perfect people. But there's not one of us in this gathering here today who's perfect. That's why Spurgeon said what he said. I'm glad he picked me because I wouldn't have picked him and glad he picked me before the foundations of the world because I don't know. Friends, there is the reality that heaven will be a separation of those who are followers of Jesus and those who are not followers of Jesus. Not because God condemns people to hell, but because He has a perfect heaven and that heaven is a result of those who have willingly accepted the divine election to follow Him. 
If you want a perfect heaven, you have to have perfect people. The only way to have a perfect people is to have a perfect God living in you. And you have to choose to receive that God. You know, divine election as uh, described uh, an old timer by the name of Ironside once gave this illustration that uh, divine election was sort of this way is that it's like you're traveling down the freeway and maybe you're commuting day in and day out and there's an off ramp on that freeway and you've seen it several times but then you started to notice and hear about there was a, a, a building at the top of the off ramp that had a big door maybe like one of these big overhead doors here we got today and above the overhead door the big door it's actually a walk-in door, I guess, was written the statement from Revelation twenty-two seventeen that says, uh, whosoever will come, whosoever will come. But you've been so busy buzzing back and forth to work. I mean, your life's full and fast, but you're driving and you're sort of still, you're frustrated because of some things in life. Maybe you're em uh, empty on the inside, you're apathetic, but your life's full and you don't think about taking that off-ramp. But that off-ramp is there and the opportunity's there and you run into people and say, man, I took that off-ramp and I walked through that door that says whoever, whoever uh, uh, will come. And you're going like, well, maybe I could. I don't know. And so one day you decide to go up the off ramp and you park and you get out and you walk up the door. Whosoever will come and you go, you know, I can knock on this door and go inside. But if I go inside, what if they don't want me? That would be really awkward. That'd be embarrassing. And so you choose not to knock on the door. You get back in your car, you get back on the freeway, you continue to go up and down the freeway week in and week out. But that's still there, that door that says whosoever will. And so you hear about a few more people. And so finally, you make the decision and you go, you know, I'm going to take it. I'm going to, you go off the off ramp, you walk up, you knock on the door and you choose to open the door. And when you open the door to this incredible place that you heard about that's changed people's lives so much, you see another placard and it says chosen in Christ from the foundations of the world. You're accepted. You're elected. You discover it then, right? D.L. Moody, a great evangelist in Chicago, America, he said, God saved, God saved the elect. Now, just elect more. You see, there's no, there's no division. God saves the elect. Now may elect more. He's always electing more. You have a divine election appointment again this week. And it's not just Tuesday. It's today. And it's tomorrow. You can make the choice to take the off-ramp, open the door for whoever so will, come and walk in and discover that you were chosen from the foundation of the world. But it takes your initiative based upon the divine election. President Trump, Vice President Biden, either one can be elected Tuesday. But there will be an acceptance speech. Somebody say, I don't know if that's going to happen Tuesday night. It may not happen Tuesday night, right? It may roll into some day. But there will be an acceptance speech. And they will say, I take on this role because of the election that chose me. So the election, the divine election of God hangs in eternity for each and every one of us. But there is a time stamp on it. Do you know what that time stamp is? 
your life, the years, the days, the hours that you're given, will you take the off-ramp and will you open that door? Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who opens the door, I will come in and I will sup with him. I will hang with them. What do you do? Well, you pray that you're not slow on it. That's why 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He stands at the door and He knocks. Will you open the door? He's chosen you from the foundation of the world, but you need to respond. The beauty of His love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so Romans 10.9 simply says this, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. So my question as we close, have you believed? Have you believed? Have you professed? Have you received? John 1.12 in the New Living Translation says it this way, but to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. I know of no more cool time for you to respond to the door and open the door to Jesus to God himself who chose you from the beginning of time than a week like an election week have you ever placed your faith in Christ repented of your sins turning away from your indifference maybe your outright rebellion and say today, I am going to turn from that life. I'm taking that off ramp. I'm going to go through that door. Whosoever will come. <sighs> Chosen in Christ from the beginning of time. You can make that choice today if you've never made it before. If you're wondering about that choice, you can reaffirm that choice. Because today, your election awaits an acceptance decision. Will you pray with me? Lord, across uh, this very unique environment, this venue that we have, and online even, if there's anyone who has never bent their knee, physically or symbolically in prayer, and ask You to forgive them of their sins, and for you to come into their life. If there's anyone who has never said that they believe in you, that you are God Himself come in the flesh, perfect life, sacrificed on a cross, raised from the grave, ascended to the heavens, coming again. If, if there's an individual here or online who has never made that acceptance decision, 
I pray in this moment that they would. That they would believe. And that they would receive. If you're in that place and you want to respond to the divine election of God's love, to be a part of the unified kingdom party and not be caught up in all the division and splittedness of this world, especially in a week like an election week. Your heart longs for unity. Your heart longs for wholeness. Your heart longs to be in something other than a broken world. Your heart longs to be in God's kingdom both here and the life to come. Then I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. And I'm going to ask others to pray it out loud, especially maybe if you're not so sure you've ever prayed this prayer before or if it's stuck. If you prayed it with sincerity, it's stuck, whether you think it or not. But just pray with me these words out loud. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for the gift that you've given, that you came into this world, that you lived, that you died, and that you rose again. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. I turn from indifference and rebellion. And I turn towards you, Jesus. I believe in you. I receive you. Come into my life. And from this day forward, as you enable me, I will choose to live for you for all eternity. Thank you, Jesus, for my divine election. For calling me by your Spirit to respond to the offer of salvation. I receive it this day. November 1st, 2020. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want to encourage you. Whether you're sitting in the hot sun or in the shade of inside venue B, there are connect cards that are on the white tables as you leave. I want you to fill out one of those. Your name, your address, maybe. That doesn't matter to me. A phone number or an email. And there's a place to mark on the back. I'm committing my life to Christ. I want to follow up with you. If you're online, you can just simply respond to this email. Pray at theawakening.church. Pray at theawakening.church. I want to follow up with you. I want to encourage you about your newfound faith, that you're part of the kingdom party, that you responded to the divine election of God and that we can help you grow spiritually. And if you've got questions, you're not ready to, ready to cross that line of faith, then I encourage you to respond via email or on the back of that connect card say, I want to grow spiritually or I have questions I want to know more. We are here to support and to love you, not in what we're doing, but in what God's doing and what he's been doing since the foundations of the world. Amen.